the average American will have maybe one or two traumatic events in a lifetime. We know that a traumatic event can affect someone both physically and mentally, but for a police officer, they will likely experience over 100 traumatic events during the course of their career. The stresses are relentless. Cops are supposed to be tough. The perceived stigma surrounding mental health problems keeps many officers from seeking the help they need. Today, we're joined by Dr. Serena Liebengood, the wife of Capitol Police Officer Howie Liebengood, who died by suicide days after responding to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. As we face a rash of law enforcement suicides, it's time that we recognize the physiological toll of wearing a badge and honor their sacrifice. I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is The Blue View. Well, Serena, thank you for joining us today on the Blue View Podcast. Uh, First, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, First, I want to thank you, uh, President Yeos, for having me here. And I appreciate everything that you have done in terms of advancing police uh, health, wellness, and safety. Um, I I can't thank you enough for all of your support in moving this agenda forward. It's the right thing to do. I am a suicide survivor. I am also a physician. Prior to medical school, I received my um, master's in health services administration at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. I've spent some time consulting, working in hospital administration prior to medical school. And following my medical training, I have worked at the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions, and I've held a variety of leadership positions. And throughout this time, I have always maintained an interest in operations research, looking at different problems and solutions. As a junior faculty member at Johns Hopkins, I attended and completed my fellowship um, at the Armstrong Institute for Patient Quality and Safety. So all of this, all of this uh, experience I bring with me and when I lost Howie, I, you know, I, I took everything that I accumulated over the years and I decided that I'm putting this into improving police officer wellness and safety. Yeah, well, and, and that you are. Uh, Thank you. So tell us a little bit about Howie. So Howie was 51 years old. He was a 15-year veteran of U.S. Capitol Police. He loved his job. He grew up in the the Capitol Hill community um, and, you know, protecting the institution meant so much to him. And he served on January 6th. And I remember that morning um, when I saw him off to work, um, I told him not to run towards danger. I said, I want you to come back home to your wife. And I knew how he was the kind of person who would put service before himself, who would put service before anything else. And so when he went to work that day, and I was working, I was distracted. But when I saw what unfolded, I was upset. I was devastated. But when Howie came home, I thought that he was okay. And he wasn't okay. 
Um, over the next few days, he worked nearly around the clock. He didn't have time to decompress. And um, the following Saturday, he died by suicide. Tragic. And tell me, how, how, do you, how do you think January 6th, I mean, you, you, you talked about putting himself into work. Um, how do you think that uh, all of this contributed to his emotional distress? I think one thing, and I just stepped back before um, January 6th, um, how we experience occupational stress. You know, and what I recognize is that, you know, it's policing. I, I'm also in a high-stress environment, and you accept that as being part of the job. You deal with it. You move forward. Um, prior to January 6th, um, Howie had two weeks of vacation. The COVID vaccine was coming out. You know, we were gearing up to have a successful year. And... The events of that day, I believe, traumatized him emotionally, mentally. Um, he wasn't able to protect this institution that meant so much to him. His colleagues were being um, injured. And when you look at policing, and unfortunately, this isn't just about Howie or um, you know, it happens in first responders in general, you have all of this cumulative chronic stress, and then you put an acute stressor on top of that. And then on, t on top of that, there's no way to decompress. Um, and I think all of that, you know, um, unfortunately contributed to um, Howie's death. You know, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of Howie's out there. I can tell you in my 36 years of law enforcement, I, I can rattle off name after name after name of friends, uh, people that I, I never noticed the signs uh, in the same situation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I often said that uh, the, the weight of the world will make even the strongest of knees buckle. And, uh, and I think this, uh, you know, it's just uh, accumulatively takes its toll on law enforcement officers. And a lot of people like to think that law enforcement officers are, are strong, that we can take all of these things, but we're, we're human, just like everyone else. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're a police officer, you're 54% higher uh, likely to uh, have a higher suicide rate by 54% of the general public, uh, yeah. just from the demands of, 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 being, of policing, uh, the public service. Um, what systematic changes do you believe would be beneficial or would have been beneficial uh, that are needed to address uh, the challenges of a law enforcement officer as it relates to stress? I think it's important to recognize that this is a complex issue and that requires a complex, multifaceted solution. I, you know, and, and I bring my background in public health. I think a lot of emphasis needs to be placed on prevention. And in fact, there is um, a lot of literature out there that shows that occupational stress is the significant stressor um, in, in policing, more so than individual stress. 
Um, and for example, a, there are certain things about policing that you can't control. You don't know what call lies ahead. But in terms of the organizational stress, whether that's policies, procedures, your work schedule, there are some things that can be change to improve the health and wellness of law enforcement officers. So I think it's important to view the workplace as part of this healthcare continuum. I think wellness services are great. I think resources are great. But if you truly care about officer health, wellness, and their safety, you need to target some of these factors in the workplace. You need to reduce barriers to care, and increase access to culturally competent services. So I think the solution is complex. I don't have all of the answers. But what I do know, um, the answers out there exist. And I think that we need to think outside of the box, you know, address this head on as a public health, you know, crisis which it is, and come at it from all sides. Not let not put a bandaid on it, but you know, take this take this uh, person, this issue to surgery, dissect it, and figure out how we can address some of those root causes. You know, I uh, uh, you know, law enforcement officers is kind of a, I guess, a unique, a unique profession, in that we when we. We're hired. We're put into an academy, and from the very first day we go in academy, we're told to be in control of everything. We've got to be in control of every situation because if we're not, if we don't take control, then it could, it, it could be dangerous to ourselves and, and the public we're protecting. So you get that beat into you from the very first day, and you continue on, continue on, and continue on with your career, and you're constantly have that mindset that's been trained that you've got to be in control and find out there's a lot of things you're not in control of. And uh, so I think, I think uh, in a lot of ways, that's probably the, I guess, the, the dynamics of law enforcement, you know, control of things that you can't control. And I, and I think that's a conflict that rages within every law enforcement officer, some more than others, uh, depending on what their background is and depending on what their experience is of, you know, the, the, the events that they, the, the calls that the call service they respond to. That's our challenge we have. Uh, it's, uh, and it's been such a stigma. I, I watch. I watch your you know, profession over my 36 years when I first started, you know, what you hurt, rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. Uh, and I think that's a mentality existed. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm very happy to say that we've seen that transition. We've seen that transition where we recognize that we're asking law enforcement officers to do something pretty extraordinary and not once considering that we're human beings and those human beings also have, you know, have the same emotions that everyone else has. And if, if, if it affects others, I assure you, you can't sniff your badge and somehow it goes away. Uh, that's the realities we deal with. I want to. I want to really kind of dive into the, your view on you know the the Public Safety uh, Support Act, Officer Support Act, and and not only that, but also the entire wellness movement from your perspective, both as a physician and then also as someone who's seen the end results of of, of where where we just missed. We just missed the, the I, I guess, a path that would bring us to a place where we recognize the damage being done to law enforcement officers way before it ever happens, and 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 do and, and institute programs within our own agencies and make sure that we're we're taking care of that well-being uh, of our officers. 
Yes. First, I want to thank you for your support and the FOP support, um, you know, in terms of advancing the, the Public Safety Officer Support Act. I think that was a, such a tremendous accomplishment. And the proud son of a U.S. Senate Sergeant-at-Arms, Howard Liebengood, left a career as a champion race car driver to follow in his late father's footsteps, protecting the democratic institutions they both revered. He died after battling insurrectionists at the Capitol and staying on to restore security in the crucial days after January 6th. His painful loss helped change the law to better honor the unimaginable sacrifice that too many officers and their families face. For his deep dedication and selfless service, we the people honor U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard C. Liebengood. The Department of Justice has determined a Capitol Police officer who died by suicide days after the January 6th riot was a death in the line of duty. That was a, such a tremendous accomplishment. And I think this is an example of how we are finally recognizing on a larger stage that, you know, policing isn't, you know, without risk. And one of those unfortunate risks are, you know, mental, mental health uh, uh, issues such as PTSD, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. And I think this act put it, you know, back on the agenda in the forefront. And I know that you all have been working on this well before January 6th. Um, but I, I think this provided a landscape, an opportunity, multiple forces coming together to say, you know what, we need to do something about it. And I, you know, I, my losing Howie was the, the most difficult thing that, um, that I've ever experienced. And um, I don't want his death to um, have been in vain, but I've recognized that his death was an opportunity to put a face on the officer that shows up to work day in, day out, selfless, dedicated to their job. And this is what happens, you know, this is, this is what happens and, you know, my husband, he, um, you know, he saw his doctor regularly for routine visits. He worked out. He did all of the right things. We had a happy marriage. We were financially stable. But yet the stressors of his job led to the loss of his life. And I think the expansion of the benefits through this support act, you know, was tremendous. And I can't tell you how many folks keep uh, you know, kept telling me over a period of time, I never thought I would see this. I never thought I would live to see this. Um, and that is incredible. But I think it's important not to be complacent to say, hey, you know what, we're going to keep this ball rolling. We need to keep advancing this agenda because more needs to be done. Absolutely. More needs to be done. If we expect the officers to show up day after day, do the job to the best of their ability, we need to provide the right environment, the right system and services so that they can, you know, uh, do their best job and protect their health and wellness. Yeah. 
you know, uh, you, when, you know, when we've gone through this whole process, uh, working through Congress to um, to have this act passed, uh, we talked about the challenges that we had. And I, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I want to break this down into a couple of different paths. One, I recognize that uh, there are some out there that just, uh, I guess there's a little bit of a conflict here. You know, I, I watch how we evolved, and we, we're to a point now where I, I couldn't be prouder of the fact that we talk about the damage being done to law enforcement officers. You know, I, I've seen it time and time again. We, we look at officers that, you know, every officer, when they're hired, they go through psych evaluations, they go through physical evaluations, they go through all of these things, and then they're on a job uh, just a, a short period of time, and, and some struggle. Uh, they struggle because of the damage that's being done repetitively, of uh, of the trauma that's uh, you know that can't be seen, uh, and it, I watch how we evolved in my years of law enforcement over three decades, of not talking about these things to now talk about them to, to universally recognize the damage that's being done. And I've always said, you know, you look at officers and say, okay, why is this person acting out? Why, why do they seem to have? other uh, vices that uh, that we look at them and say that's a shame they turn that way and not once considering that maybe the job did it uh and and, and that's really where i want to go with this i want to i want to talk about I, i'll you know when something's broken in the service of others we have a moral and fiduciary responsibility to fix it uh and and that's where we are now we're, we're now recognizing that damage is being done however there however there are still some out there that feel like you know we recognize that officer wellness is a is an important Tool. We need. We recognize that we need to do this prevention long before we end up losing the highways out there. Uh, but some still struggle with the fact that they're wrapping their arms around whether we should have this act. And it just seems to me that there's a huge conflict there. How can you recognize as a problem, but not recognize when we can't fix it? And we talked about early on. I think. I think uh, as a profession, we're still going to we're still going to have some that are going to struggle with it. Uh, I remember when we had Hometown Heroes Heroes Act, recognizing the physical damages being done to law enforcement officers, and it took a while for others to to accept it as well. And I, I feel that uh, there's no question this is the right thing to do. There's a we we recognize a need for a strong, robust wellness program for law enforcement officers. We need to recognize uh, the full full gamut of it. Let's talk about that about wellness program from your perspective of the things that could have been done different uh and you you have a you have a background that that certainly uh you know gives us some insight uh that most people don't have what could be done different in a wellness program in agencies why is it important for agencies to recognize this besides the obvious responsibility of taking care of those who take care of their communities um tell me what you feel uh, let's break down what, a, what, what is missing uh, or what can enhance a wellness program and why is it important for every agency in this country to embrace this? Only 62% of police agencies have a wellness program and it's estimated 3 to 5% of agencies have a suicide prevention program. And when you think about this increased risk of suicide and other um, mental illnesses among police officers, something more needs to be done. And I want to take a step back to what I mentioned earlier. I think there are some opportunities for improvement. And one place is looking at the police agency. Uh, Research shows that organizational stress is the highest 
uh, cause of stress among police officers, more so than, you know, personal individual factors. And so to me, that is an opportunity for improvement. And in fact, I, you know, I'm talking to different folks at Hopkins and, and, and working on my program. And one um, uh, woman who works in change management at the School of Business, she's like, read my article about what agencies are doing wrong in terms of wellness services. And this article that she published shows that you have greater effects when you focus on the collective, the collective of individuals rather than focusing on the individual. And when you look at law enforcement, rather than saying, you know what, let's work in your resilience, let's build up your skill set, management, leadership, and police agencies have an opportunity to say, listen, we can protect, you know, you know, our workforce, we need to look at all of them and not single out, you know, um, individuals or, or, you know, make them feel that they have to reach out to wellness resources. It's important for agencies to figure out how we can reduce the barriers and increase access to care because you're not going to increase help-seeking behavior when an officer is concerned about losing their job or fear of retribution or, you know, um, or people gossiping, of, you know, issues with conf confidentiality. We need to get rid of that. And so, again, this isn't about putting a Band-Aid. Hey, we have a wellness center set up. No, this is about getting to the heart of the problem, doing a root cause analysis, addressing all of these issues, and figuring out how can we move forward. And I, I think it's important to recognize there are a lot of health and wellness programs out there. But the question is, you know, uh, do these, you know, actually impact the suicide rate? Does, you know, does it impact, you know, um, uh, you know, diagnoses of PTSD and mental health? We need to look at this. And again, I know I may be sounding like a physician or a health administrator, but I am taking everything that I've learned throughout my career. And I am putting this forward to make sure that we continue to move this ball in the right direction because 54% higher suicide rate, that's not acceptable. Absolutely. You know, more needs to be done. You know, uh, so you got a lot there. Let's see if I could kind of dive into a little bit uh, of some of what you said. First, uh, wellness should not be checking a box. Yes. Uh, and I think a lot of agencies, I think we're getting to a point now where not having a wellness program uh, is almost a liability for agencies. So uh, there are services out there that specifically, I, mean, I remember one of the vendors came to us and said, hey, help me promote this in agencies. And, and, and their whole focus had more to do with the civil liability side of not doing something. So, you know, I think you're missing a point here. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm less interested in that part of it than I am to try and actually find some real solutions and, and real programs that help law enforcement officers. Um, you, you talk about, a, you know, an analysis. Uh, but but, but I, I'll, another part of this that I think we miss 
in in law enforcement and and not every agency uh, you know please there are agency uh, agencies out there that that are rock stars when it comes to protecting our officers uh, and those programs should be duplicated throughout the country but but every single one of those successful programs we really don't know how successful they, they actually are because they have put so much in the prevention part of it, of preparing officers for, for these challenges, uh, that, that, you know, these, these conflicts that they're going, to, they're, they're going to be facing. We know they're coming. Why, why wait till the fire starts before we start uh, you know, taking, you know, taking care of, uh, of, of what we know is coming? Um, so uh, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, another thing that you, you talked about is the need to have trust. Uh, in agencies. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I think that that's, you know, simply saying you have a wellness program is great. Uh, that's fine. I, but, but if it's not effective, it's, it's, it, it really is nothing more than a title or, uh, in order for people to be able to use a wellness program, officers to use a wellness program, they have to have some trust in it. And I think there is a little distrust for law enforcement officers to say, if I go to my agency and I tell them I'm having a, a I'm struggling then it's probably going to have an adverse impact on me. And let's let's just be honest. Most law enforcement officers that find themselves in that situation, I know Howie was an exception, but there are other factors that compound. It's finance. It's 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 relationships. It's it's uh, you know uh, substance abuse. All of these things are all factors in it. And when you tell someone, hey, go to the agency, and let's get a wellness program. Let's let's see see if we can get some help knowing that I can't work the extra duty details I need to pay my bills and all, those things are a hindrance for wellness. I want, I want to give me your thoughts on, uh, on a wellness program, how it could be effective, how it has to be effective, and how it has to be maybe an arm's length away from the, from the agency itself to, to have officers feel comfort or, or some, some, uh, some confidence that uh, seeking help is not going to have an adverse impact on them. An effective health and wellness program, it needs to be um, superimposed on a culture that is supportive of, you know, a healthy environment. And this could be reflected in policies and procedures. You also need to have uh, leadership in, you know, the police agencies as well as at every level through the chain of command you know, singing the same song. It's important that, you know, uh, not just having a wellness program in isolation of all of the other uh, factors in an organization that could, you know, contribute to organizational stress. I also think it's important there are a lot of, you know, best, you know, um, evidence-based practices, um, uh, you know, uh, best practices out there that we can, we can, you know, use in agencies. I think that is also an important component, you know, having access to culturally competent services, um, you know, having a peer support program in place. And I just want to give a shout out to um, Sherry Martin, your, your director of wellness services, because she and you all are focusing on ensuring that a lot of those uh, critical um, programs are in place and accessible to police agencies elsewhere. And so those are some components um, that need to be in place for an effective wellness uh, 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 center. But again, and I keep going back to reducing the barriers, increasing access to care, 
whether or not that's confidentiality, um, you know, figuring out how we can place the wellness program in the organizational chart so that, you know, uh, you don't have a, a sergeant, you know, or, 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 or another executive overseeing those services. You need to recognize why officers aren't using your service and get rid of those barriers. It's not enough to say, and I've seen this, unfortunately, places where they tell, you know, they may say, I don't know why the officers won't come to us. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's important to go to where the officers are. Listen to what they're saying, what they need, what the barriers are. And again, you know, the FOP with your survey of your members, a lot of that information is out there in terms of what are the biggest yeah. barriers. So um, it's important to lean into that to come up with proper solutions. You know, again, this isn't simple. It's not easy. It would be lovely to say, hey, this is a resource we have in place. You know, wash your hands and let's move on. We need commitment throughout every chain of command um, uh, throughout the organization. We need folks to say, you know what, one suicide is too many and we need to do something more. Not brush it under the rug, um, not make, you know, having um, mental uh, health issues a rare thing. You know, let officers know, hey, you're at increased risk. We all are. Police chiefs aren't, you know, immune. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, we need to like, hey, let's, <laughs> I, I almost want folks to just have a group therapy session together and be like, let's get rid of all of this, you know, BS and focus on what matters. If you really care about the law enforcement officers, we need to really get to the root of the problem. And, um, you know, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Serene, I want to thank you for yeah. recognizing Sherry Martin, uh, our director of wellness, and, and her entire committee. The work they are, they are doing is phenomenal, um, which I think makes your point, or at least it makes my point. My, my mm-hmm. point is this. I think that there is a lot of uh, maybe distrust, but just because of structures, because of command structures and, and seeking help. And, and I really think that when we look at officer wellness, if we really – I mean, you can build a beautiful house, but if no one ever goes in it, you know, all you have is just a beautiful house with no substance. Um, you could build a beautiful program. It could look great on paper, but if people aren't taking advantage of it, it's not beneficial. Uh, it's not you, – you've missed your point. You know, missed your, your, your target. Our target is, is to, to help officers and do it in a way that they feel comfortable in doing so. It is okay to not be okay. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's the problem we, 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 we find uh, of this dynamic of being in control, because that's what we taught from the first day, to not being able to control things that we can't control, uh, and a conflict that exists with it and trying to seek help from something that we are in fear of that control. Um, and that's where I think the FOP and associations play a huge part in a wellness program. Um, the trust that can be built by going to an associations program that's, that's managed by, by associations is probably going to be far greater than in an agency. It really is a collaboration between the agency and the association, recognizing that the association brings an element that is important to the officers to, to take advantage of it. So thank you for, for, uh, for recognizing that. Uh, and again, that's, that's, I think that's a stigma we need to come over. We need to recognize that this is a journey we all take together. 
uh, agencies and associations. And uh, when we truly put our, our interest of protecting and, and making sure that there are no highways out there, uh, you know, the end result, recognizing uh, the, th- the steps we can take to prevent that. Again, you know, you prevent these things, you can only assume that you, you know that you're being successful because you, what you don't have is the numbers of people that you've been able to impact. Uh, I can tell you, I, I think without a doubt, I feel this is where we need to go. I appreciate the hard work that you're doing uh, to bring light, uh, to take this tragedy and, and turn it into to, and offer hope uh, for, for many. Um, you are uh, created an, uh, an association to, to uh, in Howie's uh, honor. To, to recognize these. Let's talk a little bit about, about your association. Thank you. So it is called the Howard C. Lehman Good Foundation, and it is a nonprofit organization aimed to improve officer health and wellness through interdisciplinary collaboration, education, and research. I am focused on identifying opportunities to improve workplace health, increase access to care, and ultimately improve um, uh, health outcomes of the law enforcement officers through implementing um, a a multifaceted um, approach. Um, I am in the the early phases, and um, and a lot of work needs to be done, but the reality of it is, you know, although that there are a lot of great, um, agencies out there and, and programs that focus on officer health and wellness and safety, you know, there's still that discrepancy. There's still a gap. And I'm hoping that this organization fills that gap. And I just want to draw on, you know, the collaborative piece. Um, I have reached out to other faculty members throughout the Johns Hopkins community in terms of um, at, at the business school, the School of Public Health, um, and they also have other like centers that focus on you know mental health at, in the workplace. And so I am tapping on like every resource that I have access to to, to bring to this table. Thank you, President Yos and the the FOP for supporting um, the organization and serving as a fiscal sponsor. I think this will be ongoing because the reality of it is policing is difficult. It comes with a lot of risk, and there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I have uh, put in my own, you know, money. Um, the first donor to my donation, my, uh, my, uh, foundation and, you know, and I'm always looking for others if they want to, to match, um, a lot of work needs to be done. And this isn't about me. Um, this is all about the officers and their health and and wellness. Uh, so much needs to be done. And also I just want to draw, um, uh, your attention to um, one of the programs that we hope to launch um, initially, and we will be focusing most of our resources and capital. Um, we recognize, you know, there's a generational shift that is occurring in law enforcement, um, uh, health, and wellness. And I think it's important to 
help agencies navigate that change. I will be um, implementing a change management program, and I will be doing this in concert with you know, subject matter experts throughout the Johns Hopkins community, and most importantly, uh, police executives, leadership, you know, folks who have done this, you know, countless times, they know the, the risk, the benefits, the challenges to bring their knowledge to the table. And at the end of the day, I would love to have an immersive, evidence-based, validated program that can help agencies regardless of their size, their demographics, their, you know, um, ability to pay, to have access to resources so that they can create a healthy workforce, a healthy environment for their officers. Because let's face it, without a healthy environment, you can have, you know, um, five you know, wellness programs, you're not going to properly, you know, yeah. impact your, your agency. And, and, and why is it it's, it's more important now than it's ever been before? Uh, you look at agencies across this country, country are, are working short. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a staffing crisis in this country, a recruiting and retention uh, crisis in this country. So agencies are focused more on trying to fix the problems within their community then maybe they should be recognizing a damage that has actually increased uh, to their officers themselves. So it's programs like this. It's why we were, you know, why we're, we're very pleased to, to support in any way we can uh, uh, your initiative, and, and, and it's so really needed. Uh, it's, so we wish you the absolute uh, uh, best and, and success and, and uh, consider us a partner in, in this journey. Thank you. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up now, but I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to, to – if somebody wants to know more about, uh, about your foundation, what would be the best way for them to, to go about finding that information? Um, individuals can learn more about the organization through our website, um, hclf.org, the Howard Charles Liebengood Foundation. That's great. So we'll push that information out as, as soon as it's available. Serene, I want to thank you for, uh, for, for spending some time with us. Uh, again, I'm very sorry for the tragedy and the experience that you, you know, the, the, the tragedy in your life as well, uh, and recognize that the damage is done uh, to the families as well. Uh, but, I, but I also want to thank you for lighting a candle for, for those that, uh, that struggle with these, uh, these same unanswered questions in their own lives and give some meaning to, to you know, t- taking, taking this tragedy and turn it into to hope. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, uh, to our viewers, uh, thank you for joining us at the Blue View Podcast. Well, we, we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every day in communities across this country and make a difference. Thank you. 